And Tom, thank you for that sermon and song. That was uh, very powerful, and it fits what we're talking about this morning, that, that God has a plan, and nothing will thwart it. A mighty fortress is our God. God's plan for the church is this. He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to the, His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. And his purpose is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God is at work in the world today, and he's at work through his church, through you and me. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a will. But you know, the greatest purposes in the world are just hot air, unless there's a strategy unless there's a plan, unless there's a plan of action. Okay, so God said, I have a point of focus. I have a place. I have a purpose. I have a plan. I have a, 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 an ideal, a goal. And I also have a way to get there. And in Ephesians chapter 4, God revealed the process, the strategy he has ordained to achieve his purpose, which he expressed in chapter 1, verse 10, and then again in chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. God has a reason for this church to exist, and it is to change the world. It is to make an impact. He said, you as my people are the light of the world, just as he said to Israel, you are my priesthood, you are my holy nation. And as other people see you, they should be attracted to me. And he says the same thing to the church. You should be my witnesses. You are to make disciples. You are to bring people into relationship with me because as more and more people get swept up in the Christian movement, the world becomes a better place. That's God's overall plan, is that we, his church, be his witnesses that we are out in the world making disciples, bringing people into relationship with Christ. This strategy, this plan of action is clearly spelled out in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me just read uh, verses uh, uh, actually 16 through, uh, pardon me, 11 through 16. Let me read the, the, the passage for us uh, this morning, and then we will look at it in a little more detail. It says, well, let me see where I should pick up here. Chapter 4. Uh, the, uh, Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to the church. And he gave these gifted people to the church to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown about here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from Jesus, from Christ, the whole body is joined, fitted, and held together by every supporting ligament 
It grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's the strategy. And you say, huh? That's a lot. What's he talking about? What is that strategy? Well, we read first of all, as we look at chapter 4, that God combines unity and diversity in the church so he can use us to do his work. So this chapter 4, actually, yeah, beginning of chapter 4, he really focuses on two things. The unity of the church. Remember we saw that last week. Paul said, I, as the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you, beg you, plead with you to walk worthy of your calling as Christians. And you walk worthy of your calling when you are diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the first thing he said there in chapter 4 is it, it's a together thing. We need each other. Unity. Cooperation. Based on gentleness and patience. And sometimes endurance putting up with each other, because you need each other. One morning I was teaching a men's Bible study in, uh, from our church in, in, uh, down in Austin, and talking about unity and, and the alelon of one another. We find that Greek word alelon frequently in the New Testament. It means of one another. And I said, there are no lone rangers in God's army. One of the guys sitting right about where Emil is sitting, he said, no, just a bunch of guys wearing masks. Whoa. That Bible study immediately took a different turn. Because we talked about the fact that even in a church, there are people who are afraid to take off their mask. They don't feel safe. They don't think that if they have a problem, people are going to deal with them with gentleness and patience. To endure them. To be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And in verses 4 through 6, Paul emphasized this unity by saying there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Seven ones. It's about unity. That's a beautiful thing, to be here, to be in this place. And, 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 and even watching us online to say, I am part of you. We are united. The same Holy Spirit that is in us, in me, is in our cyber church members in Canada. Doug and Georgia Lee, you're part of us. We're connected. We belong to each other. We take care of each other. We pray for each other. Unity. But in the midst of that beautiful unity, we have diversity. Because in verse 7, not only verses 1 through 6 did Paul hammer on unity, then in verse 7 he said, but, <laughs> even though there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all who is through all and in all, but to each one of us 
Grace has been given by Christ as he apportions it. This is why it says, and he quotes Psalm 68 here, he says, when, when Jesus went back to heaven, he went back as the great victor. He came to earth to save us, to win the battle over sin and death. But then God, he went back to heaven, and as the, as the conquering general, as, as Paul refers to Psalm 68, the conquering general who brings home the spoils of war, and as that general, he's free to give gifts to people, to, to heroes, to people who are doing the work, to, to equip people to do the work. To the good soldiers, he gives rewards. And so Paul uses that imagery. When Christ went back to heaven, he didn't abandon us. He didn't abandon us. He gave us gifts. He gave us gifts. And some of those gifts, verse 11, so Christ himself gave to the church, gave to the church prophets, apostles, evangelists, and pastor teachers. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12 talk about gifts, spiritual gifts, but there the gifts are functions. Here, the gifts are people who have functions. Apostles and prophets and pastors and evangelists and pastor teachers. Gifts that God gave to the church. One day I was reminding Jeanette, sort of humorously, I'm a pastor. You better be nice to me because I'm God's gift to you. <laughs> and she smiled and said, so was that porcelain pig my sister gave us for Christmas last year, which I'm going to give as a white gift at the next year's faculty Christmas party. All in fun, but all saying, don't get carried away, Bubba, because you ain't the only gift. I'm a gift, too. She was reminding me. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a prophet or an apostle. But I am just as responsible as a fellow Christian to minister in the church as any apostle, prophet, evangelist, or pastor teacher. There are no drones in the divine hive. Everyone is gifted. And everyone is to gather honey and feed the flock. Isn't that a beautiful picture? But if we were all alike, it wouldn't work. I mean, Tom sang a beautiful sermon. If I were to start singing, this wouldn't work. I don't do that. I have a different kind of a gift than Tom and Sherry and Bill. And so do you. And God's strategy is all of these gifted people working together, each one doing their part, creates a beautiful, unified thing called the church. And this church, with unity and diversity, is my strategy to change the world. We're not just here to sing hymns and listen to somebody preach a sermon. We're here to be equipped for ministry. That's what Paul says next. God gave 
apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor teachers to the church. And then verse 12 says why he gave them to, to do something, to equip his people for their work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now some people read verse 12 this way. God gave pastors of the church to equip the saints to do the work of service and to build up the body of Christ. Those are the three things the pastors are supposed to do. But grammatically, you can't make verse 12 say that. That's not what verse 12 says. He didn't give these gifted people to the church to equip the saints and to do the work of service and to build up the body of Christ. He gave these gifted people to the church to equip the saints for their work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. People grow by serving. Now, I'm sort of into health. I eat well, and I ride a bicycle to help melt some of the stuff I eat off. But when I'm out there riding my bike in the mornings, that's not helping you get healthy. When I'm eating my salad, that's not helping you get healthy. You get healthy by riding your own bike eating your own salad. Now, I can remind you to ride your bike, and I can remind you, or I might even teach some of you how to ride a bike, equip you. But Paul is saying what, what this passage is saying is that, that the pastors, the leaders, are given to help people understand that they need to eat salads and ride their bike, to equip the saints for their work of service, because nobody, by coming to church and sitting and soaking and souring, is going to grow. We grow by exercising our spiritual gift. Let me do an experiment. Everybody, take a deep breath. Now take another one. Now take another one. And you say, that hurts. Yeah, yeah. You have to go. And then you can go. You say, gee, I never knew that. I'm glad I came to church this morning. <laughs> See, we sit and we learn. We may go to a Bible class and we get training on how to lead, tell someone else how to become a Christian. We, we learn. We take in. Then we come back next Sunday and we sit and we take in again. And then we sit and we go... I can't take any more in. I, this isn't interesting to me. I don't care about this. Until you go, I tried that this week. I ministered this week. I ran into some challenges. Some people asked me some questions I couldn't answer. I need to get back to church. I need to get into that home Bible study group. I need to get into that Sunday school class that, that uh, uh, Andrew teaches every Sunday morning. I need to read my own Bible. Because I'm busy. I'm involved. I'm exercising. I got on my bike and I found after five pedals I couldn't breathe anymore. I need to exercise. I need to develop. I need to build up some strength. I need to mature. I need to grow into this thing. And that's what Paul is saying is that the, 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 the leaders are given to equip the saints for their work of ministry. Otherwise, the church doesn't grow. So this whole idea of, of uh, of, of, of the, the, these leaders that God gave to the church 
are to equip God's people for their work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. This equipping continues until the church grows to full maturity and unity. Verse 13, we are to grow, first we are to grow together to grow out of dangerous immaturity. There's a danger to immaturity. That's why there's so much emphasis on maturity. And what he says here in verse 13, uh, this goes on, this equipping, this growing, this everybody ministering, until we all reach unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And become mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Romans 8 talks about being conformed to the image of Christ, to be Christ-like. Paul said, that ain't going to happen if you sit soaking sour. Jesus didn't come to just be a holy man. Jesus came to exercise his gift, to do what God had sent him to do, to find that unique ministry that he had given to him, and to say, I must fulfill the will of my Father. And that's why he went back to, hum- to heaven as a triumphant victor. My friends, you and I will not grow into the fullness of Christ. And we will not become this unity of church that's sincerely praying for each other until we get the image, until we get the sense that every single one of us, each of us, is here for a purpose And that God has gifted us for that purpose. And he's given us the responsibility to develop that gift. To exercise that gift at its peak. Do you know how hard I work on these sermons? You think this just rolls off? No. I invest in this. I study. I pray. I read. I read stuff that has nothing to do with today's service just to make me more an interesting person. If you're going to be an interesting preacher, you've got to be an interesting person. And some of you have listened to those who aren't particularly interesting. Tom, you think Tom just gets up and starts? I called him yesterday. I checked on him. He said, terrible back pains. I called him yesterday. How are you doing, Tom? He said, I just finished practicing my solo. Perfecting that gift. Been at this for a while, haven't you? Singing? You've been doing this music stuff for a little while? Yeah. Still working at it. Still working at it. Because he wants to mature to the fullness of Christ. He wants to be the best he can be to the glory of God. And so do you. Paul said there's a whole part of your life that's just atrophying if you don't exercise it. So we need to become mature to grow out of dangerous immaturity. He said, when you grow and become the the measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Back in the 70s, when I first became a faculty member at at, at Dallas Seminary, 
this, I got a call from a, a group in New Orleans that wanted me to come, and they just started a church, and they wanted a Bible conference, and so I, somebody recommended me. And I went over and I got to know them, and, and it was a great, excited group of people. They had just come out. They were all pretty much brand-new Christians. They were so excited. So we did this thing, and then they asked me to come back the next year, and I went back the next year, and another great time. Went back the third year, and they had split. They were arguing. They were bickering. They were no longer unified. Then that year, I was getting calls from Jimmy, the guy that sort of the lay pastor of the church. A lot of questions and stuff going on. So I went back the fourth year, and I said, what's going on here? And they were reading all of these books, Christian books. And they were getting confused, and they were going off in all these different directions. I said, you guys need to, it's okay to read some books, but you need to read your Bibles. You need to get grounded in God's Word. You need to know what you do believe before you start reading all this crazy nonsense. They were blown about by the latest Christian fad. And then I went to visit my parents in their 70s. Again, brand-new believers. My dad accepted Christ when he was 73, and my mom was 70. And brand-new Christians. And so we're sitting there, and they're watching a, one of these health and wealth, wealth prosperity preachers. And say, I know you have bills to pay, but send me that money. <laughs> Serious. It's seed money, and God will bless you. Don't pay your bills. Send your money to me. My mom says, should we do that? And I said, no, mom. Because the next thing Paul said is, by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful schemings. There are not only people out there who are teaching you wrong doctrine, there are people out there who are using the Christian faith to rip you off. And if you're not mature, you're vulnerable. So Paul said we need to grow out of that vulnerability. And second, we need to grow into a productive ministry. So instead of being blown about by every wind of doctrine and by the cunning and craftiness of deceitful people, instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So instead of being an immature person who's vulnerable to error, grow into becoming a mature person who God will use to make a difference in the world. Instead, speaking, literally truthing in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body. You know, in these six verses, the, the reference to grow shows up nine times in six verses. Grow up. Paul is saying to you and me, mature. From Christ, verse 16, from Christ the whole body, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Wow! I mean, that's a powerful, powerful verse. In that one verse, the whole body, the whole body, every member, every person, every child of God, 
First Corinthians 12 talks about, the gift. there's a beautiful passage in there where it talks about each of us having a spiritual gift that we must contribute or the body is crippled because the finger doesn't work or some that and, and he, Paul uses this using the, the meta, the, the analogy of the, the human body. He says, what if the ear said to the eyes, well, I'm not as important as you. Church doesn't need me. The body doesn't need me. I'm stuck out here on the side of the head. You're right there in the front. When's the last time anybody said to you, you have beautiful ears? <laughs> Eyes? Yeah, you get complimented. Does he dig wax out of you? No. You ever seen him sticking paper clip in you? No, it's me. I'm not appreciated. Nobody notices me. I'm just going to stop. Paul said the body would be crippled. So the ear can't say to the eye, I don't matter. Yes, you do. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. All the senses are in me. Smell, sight, sound, everything's right here. I'm the, I'm the big wazoo. You? They put shoes on you to hide you. I never smell. You do. Do you know how much better this outfit would be if you didn't show up? Paul said, that's absurd. The ear can't say to the eye, I'm not important. And the head can't say to the feet, you're not important. It's a body. It's a body. Every part has to function. Or the body cripples itself. The whole body. Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. See, the biggest problem in the church is the unemployment problem. People say, well, I don't need to get involved. I don't need to, you know, you ask for volunteers. Somebody else could do that. I, 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 you know, I'm busy. I might miss a ball game. Tough. Miss a ball game. Get involved in what matters most in life. Ball games are important. Watched a couple yesterday. In fact, speaking of ball games, Frank Broyles was the coach at University of Arkansas, football coach, committed Christian. He was speaking at a pastor's conference and talking to pastors about this stuff, about getting people involved. And he said, you know, when I look at most churches, it looks like the football stadium where I coach on Saturdays. So I look at that thing, I see 22 guys on the field desperately in need of rest. I see 22,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. He said, I look at most churches, I see a few people frantically running around, carrying two or three responsibilities, and I see the mass, the 22,000, saying, good luck, Bubba, praying for you. <laughs> Get off your knees. Get to work, is what Paul says. What every joint supplies. No drones in the divine hive. According to the proper working of each individual part. You see how many times Paul just keeps coming back on that. The proper working of each individual part. My friend Howie Hendricks talks about the pillars of the church. You've got the few pillars holding the church up, and you've got the caterpillars crawling in and out every week. 
We need to turn caterpillars into pillars. Each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. My friend Charles Wilson started coming to a Bible study, Jeanette, and I had a home Bible study that met when we were seminary students, met in our home. And Charles and Jamie heard about it, and they started coming, and Charles really got turned on. Man, he got so fired up about being a Christian and about this kind of stuff. So one day, I was at his, uh, he owned a roofing company, and very, very successful, making a ton of money. Uh, I tell you that for a reason. And uh, so I was there at his office one morning. He's getting the crews out. And after we went to breakfast, and he said, uh, I'm thinking of selling the business and going to seminary. I said, what, are you out of your mind? He said, what do you mean? I said, you don't need to go to seminary. Do you know what ministry we would lose if you went to seminary? First of all, you're giving so much money to the church, they have to close the doors if you quit. So keep making that money and giving it to the church. Second, you have a ministry that I could never have. You got these roofing crews, these tough, rough guys, man. And you're getting them out on the thing, and you, you're out on the jobs, and you're talking to them, and they come to you, and they need a loan, and they have a problem with their marriage. They come, and they talk to you. So let's say you invited me to come down here to tell them about Jesus. So I show up. They say, who's he? He's my preacher. My Bible study leader. He's a seminary student. And he came to tell you about Jesus. How many of those guys do you think would listen to me? I said, but I, I didn't know. But when you show up, nobody says, what are you doing here? You own the joint. And you have an entree to these guys that I could never have. God has placed you here, and God has given you a ministry. And let me teach you how to talk to these guys about Jesus. I took them through the Campus Crusades, Four Spiritual Laws, just very simply. He started leading these guys to Christ. His whole life changed. You see, and, and, and what it says here is causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself. And suddenly Charles' interest in the Bible study, and Charles calls to me during the week, and you come on, I got another question, I got another guy I don't know what to do with. And Charles grew like a weed. Eventually he did sell the business. He was getting too old to do it anymore. And he and Jamie took some of the, a lot of the money out of that, bought some property and in New Mexico and built a lodge where people who were having problems could come and stay for whatever amount of time they wanted. They had cabins, they had this beautiful lodge where people who didn't have a lot of money, people who couldn't afford to go to a place like that, but they could afford to come there. And Jamie and Charles cooked and cleaned these very wealthy Texans, served Jesus by serving people who didn't have enough money to have a splendid vacation, by giving them that opportunity. And they said, we will serve you. We will wash your dirty sheets and wash your dirty toilets and cook your meals and serve you. It's not for everybody. But there is a ministry for everybody. May not look like Jamie and Charles. May not look like me. May not look, may not look like Tom. May not look like Bill Bramer, who's wonderfully this organization that he does around here. It's 
fabulous. We all have different ways we contribute. And when any one of us stops contributing, the body is crippled. It doesn't work as well. So, I want you to look around. And look at your fellow ministers. The people who are responsible by God's strategy to help you grow. And then look at yourself. Look at you. And say, what would this church be missing if I wasn't here? Or if I am here but not functioning? And the answer to that is, it would be like you if you lost your sight, or your hearing, or if you broke a finger, and the things you do with that finger, you couldn't do until it healed. Have you been there? Have you had that experience? You say, yeah, it looks like a small thing to you, but it's really messing up my life. This church is messed up. Sometimes big, sometimes not so big, but still messed up. If one of you, if one of us is not doing what God has called us to do. This is my strategy, unity, diversity. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love.